Hello and welcome to Digital Surfing with Darren Smith, the podcast that dives into digital leaders' success and failures as they ride the wave of a career in digital business. Introducing our host, Darren Smith. Hi, I'm your host, Darren Smith, and every episode I'll be chatting to a special interviewee on what they've learned on their digital journey. Digital transformation and maturity is key to surviving in business today, and many people have a host of stories to tell about the successes and failures of digital projects they've been involved with. Let's go digital surfing. My guest this week is Keith Waits, Senior Head of Sales and Distribution at CFA Institute, a leading body globally for financial accreditation. Born in Edinburgh, raised in Nigeria, educated at Wharton in the US. Keith has lived all over the globe and has a wealth of experience to pass down. Keith is currently heading up the digitization of the CFA Institute from pen to paper to digital tech stacks and processes, pushing the organization to be more forward thinking. Hi, Keith. Uh, thanks so much for joining us today. Great to be here. Thanks for having me. I'm going to kick off today's questioning with um, uh, kind of a bit of your background. I see I'm like, you must be one of the most traveled people. You spent 23 years in the US. You just got back to the UK, grew up in Nigeria. Um, uh, I, I see there was some Scotland in there. Now, we're in a, in a time now where people are realizing maybe travel, uh, business travel isn't, isn't as needed anymore. If you were to do this all again, but today was the starting day, do you think you would have still had to spend 23 years in the US? What do you think is, is going to change? I, I think, I, a very good question. I think what belies the 23 years in the US is, is the fact that when I was 23 years in the US, I was traveling around the world from New York as opposed to traveling around the world from London. So I think, yeah, I would have loved it, you know, 20 years ago to have had Zoom or equivalent to be able to talk to people like I am with you now, Darren, because it would have saved me a few transatlantic trips every other week, just about. I do think though now, as we get out of the, the kind of, you know, pandemic lockdown situation, while things will open up, I think clearly they won't be needed to fly everywhere like we, we have been. We've been able to prove that we can do a lot of work most, you know, in a productive way without, but I still think there is the element of, interpersonal you know contact that is missing the fact that you can be there for a day as opposed to an hour and actually sit down with people and work with them and and that interaction I think is really important in business in relationships that you build in business so that will still be needed but I think it will be less less frequent than we're getting now yeah I agree with you um now I I often did um, trips to to the U.S. to Boston go and uh, visit HubSpot in uh, in their Cambridge office and I occurred to me the other day that um, if I were to go there now, I would really have to coordinate a whole bunch of employees to make sure that they actually came into the office on that day. Um, and I was there just to have a cup of coffee with them and, and, and meet with them. But uh, yeah, um, but that's, that's a good that's a good point, because, you know, people are now asking their employees, you know, how many days a week do you want to come into the office? And, you know, even in our organization, there's, it's ranging from five days in the office to zero days in the office. And I think that's actually personally a mistake. I think there is a need to have your employees in the office together for at least you know, one day a week, if not more, because part of that interaction is being in the office together and, and creativity is actually 
you know, lost if you're not in the office together and bouncing ideas off each other. So I think while people may have gone to one extreme on the spectrum, I think it will start, the dial will move back a little bit more as we, we see the need to be in the office together. I think what I'm going to have to do is organize a podcast with my various guests over the last three months because they all have different views on this topic <laughs> and we can have one big debate on this topic. It will be a um, very good debate, I'm sure. So let's uh, let's move on. Now maybe um, you know to give some background. I mean, you've got a huge amount of experience in learning, development, training. Um, you've run your own business around that. You've worked in large corporates around that. Maybe just uh, you know set that scene of your background and experience. Well, actually, I came into most of my my career has been in financial services, either in New York or in London. And my, I came into training sort of relatively late, only probably about 20 years ago from that. And that was when I was working in Citibank and, and I was basically asked to take a look at training and make it global when it came to our risk management division. And as I started to work in it, I realized actually I really loved the, the, the challenge. I really loved the experience of doing that and the idea of managing people's careers and developing them in a way that upskilled them to do their jobs better was something that I really became passionate about. So that's when I left and set up my own business to do that. Um, and I feel that, you know, it is not about transaction, transactional learning. This is about programmatic learning. It's, there's, there's a journey that you want to get people on. Each journey is their own individual uh, pathway and they need to be able to own it and manage it. And organizations are there to help facilitate that, to give them the tools and the opportunities to, to get to the end of their journey, which hopefully they never will, because, you know, even at my old age, you're still learning stuff, you know, so it's always good to be feeling that you're on a journey learning more and you can always learn more. Uh, and then, you know, now we're looking at an organization that didn't have any learning from a professional learning, continuous professional development point of view. And what we're trying to do is to actually build that into an organization's, an organization's client base, because it's a membership organization. And that was something very, very new. And now we're taking it to another level by saying, how do we sell that learning? What do actually people want to buy? And that's a completely different a whole different um, ball game to when I first started, because when I first started, it was all about content learning. You know, people wanted the content and they wanted to learn. And now it's something that I call contextual learning, is they learn in different ways and different things. And the whole idea of just learning a very small thing to actually get an answer to a question or to actually, you know, attend a meeting and be able to talk coherently about a project or something, that's the just-in-time learning that we have to deliver to people where they want it and how they want it. And so at the CFA Institute where you are now, if I look at your kind of CV, it looks like you kind of joined in the learning area, but then, as you said, like kind of you're now actually selling the, the, the learning offering. How, 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 does that, how did that come about? Yeah, so I was brought in um, to basically head up the business of what they called continuous professional development that we would then build for our, our members. And the members are people who are CFA charter holders, and there's 180,000 of them around the world. And they, had, uh, they took the exams and they're charter holders, but we we keep them as members, but we need to do more for them. And therefore they wanted to provide continuous professional development to them. And as members, that, that set of learning was gonna be offered to them pretty much as part of their membership. 
And so I built an architecture. I renamed the whole thing professional learning. I built an architecture of what we needed, a platform to put all of the learning on there and the types of learning that we wanted uh, over a two-year period. Um, a new uh, CEO decided that we should be doing more than just satisfying our members. We should actually be looking outside of our membership base and looking at the financial services business as a whole. And actually, if this stuff is valuable, then we should be able to actually put a price on some of this stuff because it's deemed as valuable and be able to actually take it to market. So everyone said that was a really good idea. And then we realized we didn't have any real knowledge of how to do that. So um, I was asked because I have commercial background and professional and learning background to actually, rather than be in a pillar, which is professional learning, you know, credentialing and research and all of these different businesses we have is to actually straddle all of those pillars and, and put together a sales and distribution business for our b2b customer base yeah that's really interesting so was there an existing sales team at all have you had to set that up from scratch and in terms of the structure of your sales efforts i mean ideally you have inbound requirements people just asking for you know your services but in reality you know we need an outbound element as well outreach prospecting bdrs that type of thing how have you structured that team and was their team in place already? Yeah, that's, that's a great question. And this is all a work in progress. It really only started in the first quarter of this year. First thing to say is CFA Institute is, is primarily a not-for-profit mission-based organization whose mission is to upskill professional financial services folk to have higher standards of, of knowledge, ethics, and, and, and so on and so forth. So that was really kind of the mission. And therefore, a lot of the people and the culture in the organization is very much that we're doing good for society. So to try and, and, and pivot that towards something that people would maybe call, you know, commercialize or, you know, some dirty word like that has been a cultural, uh, a, a cultural challenge for us. And it's not that. What we're really doing is that our examination business was really how we, we started by, by the, the CFA exams. And that represents a, you know, almost all of our revenue base. And the feeling was that we needed to really diversify that revenue base. And to do that, we had to find what we're good at, put, you know, whether it was a product or a, or, a, or a concept, and actually in some way attribute some value to that that we could then distribute out in the marketplace. I mean, that's the fundamental premise that we're doing. What we have never done before is exactly that. You know, the, the, we have a membership that comes to us and, and has passed the exams and they expect stuff from us. And that's almost kind of runs its own its own way because of the standards that we have and the quality we have to go out and actively knock on doors and say hey Mr Business would you like some of this and you know we've got a good is completely new both from a cultural point of view and we had to build and we are building this from the ground up and what we are looking at is 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 the fundamental premise as far as I'm concerned is what do our customers want and that question has never been asked of our B2B kind of relationships in terms of what do you want? We've always been focused on saying, do your employees want to take this exam? Because that would make them better people and that would actually make you a better company because you've got highly skilled employees. But we haven't gone and said, look, you know, is there something that you we can do for you? You know, is there a solution that we can provide for you as CFA Institute? This is all new ideas and thoughts. And, and that has what we've had to really sort of start to put in place. The whole idea of 
products are built based on customer demand and customer requirements, as opposed to let's make one of these and see if anyone wants it. And then you actually have to have a, a structure in place and then a discipline in place to actually create that and make that happen. And, and again, I said, this is a work in progress. I would not, I would like you to say that it's finished. It's not, we're moving, we're moving to get that. But coming back to the final thing you said was about Salesforce, a sales team. I'm not sure if I want a sales team, quite honestly. I don't want you know, a sales force that goes out there and basically kills their firstborn to win a deal. I think this is much more a trusted advisor relationship building type of, of, of work that we're doing, where we basically feel that we are partnering and you don't want a hard-nosed salesperson. This is the wrong context for that. So I'm looking more for additional resources, but those are people that actually have perhaps a banking uh, relationship background where they know how to build a relationship and, and uh, then, then talk to them about services. I hear you on that. Um, you know, it's, uh, it's so difficult to find those people, I find, because, um, you know, effectively they are selling, but many of that profile person find the, the job title of salesperson or business development, um, you know, inferior to, to who, they, who they believe they, they are, even okay. though, I mean, like, it is a skill. So, I mean, with your just-in-time learning, learning and development background, I mean, I would love to get your opinion on the technology that's growing at the moment, usually Gong, Refract, um, Chorus, these core recording platforms to help coach sales reps, customer success people, and so on. Like, do you believe that's where things are, are going? Is that is that the future of training and learning? I think it... There's a role to play. They have a role to play. I'm not entirely convinced yet whether that's the right the right way forward. And I don't think we will be using those things in that same way. What we're doing, and I can only say from, from my point of view, is that what we're doing is trying to make our salespeople, if you want to call them that, as effective as possible by giving them the tools and the opportunities they need to actually spend as much time as possible in a client facing you know, situation. Now, what that means is to take off a lot of the, there's two elements to this. One is take a lot, a lot of the work off them that they would normally have to do sitting at their desk. So it's a sort of administration, uh, preparation and kind of account management side of it. But the other side of it is to take data and use data in a way that we can give to these people to be far more proactive and far more focused and far more effective in what they're doing. And what I mean by that is to use CRM systems to actually be a real value to the individual salesperson or client facing person. And, and that's why, you know, we, we look at CRM systems and we look what we can, we, can input, what we can have in those systems as data, but also how they can use it. So things like HubSpot, for example, would be a great way for individual salespeople to really have a personalized, filtered, customized, whatever you want to call it, a tool that they can reach out to their clients whenever they want to, in every different way they want to, they can understand that as a salesperson. And then the second part of that is what do senior managers, you know, like myself and others, want from that data that will then be able to help them in their performance, that will help them guide you know, guide them to, you know, specific discussion points with a client. So, you know, if we start to see a trend of, of clients being interested in X, then we point the salespeople to that or we give them more support. So 
data is going to really drive the sales force forward. I don't, my, my feeling is, and this is partly going back to the thing about what do we need as, as individuals in our organization. I think that we can get really good relationship managers and give them training on the products and services they can sell. But I think it's very difficult to get a product person and teach them how to be a salesperson. I think there is an ingrained kind of, you know, they're born and, and therefore I'd rather focus on giving them the information they need to actually have a discussion with a client because that's what I'm looking for is that, that type of person. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and, and once I've got that person, I think they can be trained in all the products that we have. So there's over 9,000 different pieces of technology in the marketing and CRM space. Where do you even begin to start evaluating and selecting technology? Where have you begun? From, from CFA Institute's point of view, I began with what we have been told is, is our um, in-house s- system, and that's going to be Salesforce, to be quite honest. But I know that we need to do more than just use Salesforce. So what we're looking at now are three different elements that I think right now are going to really help our, our, our sales uh, team. One is something like HubSpot, which is going to be kind of over... Salesforce, which it kind of makes it more customer user-friendly, I should say, and that will really focus um, our team on the clients they have and, and give them the information that Salesforce can't give them. The other one is to actually have the ability to download information onto each of onto the CRM system in terms of the correct legal address, the, the correct legal entity, the address, and all of that sort of information, and populate that so we don't end up having three different you know entries for the same client and things like that. So it's tight. The data integrity is really important. The data management is really important from that point of view as well. And then the other thing is, is the client management element. You know, nowadays sending emails out every five minutes to a client saying, do you remember me? How do you do this? I get this every day and it just drives me nuts. And then you get them coming back the next day and saying, well, why didn't you answer my question? And I just delete it all. We need to find a better way of having a relationship in a virtual way with our clients. And that's why I'm looking at other ways that we can actually build that as well. So those are kind of the three elements, the data, the, the data integrity and the accuracy of the data that we get from outside to do that, um, the ability to actually manage that data in a way that makes effect, and then the client management element of that. Really interesting. Right. So I've gone uh, down from 9,000 to three. That's really what I'm <laughs> <laughs> Well done. <laughs> Uh, so we only have a short time today, um, so I want to kind of end off with um, asking you, you know, over the, whether it's now or, or way back in the past, if you were to do something differently to how you did it, what, what would that be? Wow. Are you being <laughs> on a professional or personal basis? <laughs> no, professionally, I would say in terms of approach, I would probably have got into the sort of digital delivery a lot quicker. I, I think it, all of this came up you know, relatively fast in my view, and I didn't really participate in that. Now I've got a, a better understanding. It's like, I wish I'd got involved in this 10 years ago and really understood it more because I see the power of it, quite honestly, Darren, and I wish now that I had seen that power a long time ago. It's very, very potent. 
Yeah, that's really good advice. I mean, like there's people listening to this podcast at all, at all different stages of their digital maturity. So yeah, really good advice. Well, uh, Keith, thanks so much for joining me today on Digital Surfing. Really, really appreciate it. It was a short call, but uh, I think lots of insight there and I really enjoyed it. Thank you. Thank you for having me, Darren. Thank you very much. Take care.